Hello and welcome back to Out of the Box MTG, where we think and play out of the box. Glad to have you back with us. This week is a small week. It's just Logan and I. How's it going, Logan? We're back. We're back. The brothers are at it. Back again. <laughs> yeah. Missing Jake and Simon this week, but we've got a we've got some fun stuff to talk about today. So this is gonna be good. Yeah, we got an episode that I think is particularly um up our alley. And so I think at the end of the day, it, it kind of works well because there's something that you and I I know are are especially passionate about. Um, but before we jump into into that topic, into the heart of the cast, I just wanted to shout out the Substack page. We talk about it every episode, but that is where you can find all of our written content. We publish our podcast there as well, but that's where we house all of our written content. And there's a lot of great things there. It's a great platform just to engage with in general, chatting amongst the community. It kind of mixes some social elements from something like X or Twitter, whatever. I think I'm just going with Twitter. It is Twitter to me still. Um, <laughs> I also can't call like, it X. It just doesn't feel real. It yet. doesn't work. It doesn't yeah. work. But it also takes some like the elements of like a Discord where you can chat and in, like individual communities, but then also just a hosting place for these articles. And there's a lot of really cool articles. Um, Logan has written one just that'll be coming out here really soon about swapping out a commander, which is because we had an episode, a podcast episode about that just recently. Mm -hmm. um, we have other articles about anything from, you know, leveling up commander and like understanding different mechanics in the game, like activated abilities to some wacky deck techs. I'm really excited by the time this episode comes out, it won't quite be launched, but I'm launching a series about magic and its intersection with sustainability and talking about this game from that lens, which I'm really excited about. So go check out the Substack, out of the box MTG. You can find us there, subscribe, um, get our written content, keep tabs on those things and keep tabs on podcast episodes as they come out. You can subscribe there. You can also subscribe on Spotify, on Apple, on Google, wherever it is you listen. Um, subscribe, like, do those things that, you know, it helps with the engagement and it helps us know what people are interested in so we can keep creating content that both we love and is engaging to all of you. Um, so that being what it is, that plug being what it is, uh, Logan, we are having, as we're recording this, Wilds of Eldraine previews are just kicking off. We're getting day one. The, the day first, one. Yeah, the first big round of this. So of what we've seen so far, anything particularly interesting to you? Yeah. So there is, um, and I think there's a cool, there's a couple of cool cards, but I'm specifically like, I, I typically look at commanders and think of like new builds and things that I could do. Right. So they spoiled yeah, one. Definitely. Yeah. They spoiled one earlier today that immediately caught my attention. And this is Hilda of the Icy Crown. She is four mana, two and Azorius for a 3-4 human warlock. She says, whenever you tap an untapped creature an opponent controls, you can pay one mana. That's right, one mana. And when you do, you choose one. No once per turn restriction anywhere on the card. You can either create- No sorcery speed <laughs> restriction either. No sorcery, nothing. It's just, if you tap something an opponent controls, you can pay one and either make a 4-4 four, four white and blue elemental creature token, which for the record- super excited to see what that art's going to look like. I was literally about to say that. I was like, that art's going to be so cool. <laughs> that art is going to it's gonna make this cool, like icy elemental. It's going to be yeah. so cool. Um, option two, put a plus one, plus one counter on each creature you control. Not one, each creature you control. 
or scry two, then draw a card. This card's nuts, Q. This card, yeah, so cool. Yeah, so I like so cool. Yeah. Now I will say I'll I'll preface this with um, I've actually been really interested and I've kind of for a while really wanted to build a Timon and Rhoda deck, which is kind of the current Azorius tap untap. Um. Yeah. Commander option. This seems cracked. This seems so cool. Uh, well, it has it has the effect that like Daxus does in the sense that Daxus makes his own army on yeah. the card itself, so you don't have to dedicate that many slots in the deck to creatures because you don't care that much. And so Hilda just lets you play a bunch of effects that tap things and benefit from being tapped. And Hilda is on its in its own right the thing that generates a bunch of tokens will pump up those tokens to make them really painful and also just ge- like be the engine to like churn you through cards to find what you need. So the fact that it does all of those things means you can pretty much dedicate a good majority of your deck just to these effects that tap things and, and leave your mana Hilda. open. Yeah, yeah, protect Hilda, leave that mana open so you can just... I mean, like, you so- can make so many... Four fours. They're four fours. It's not like a two two. Like it's if crazy. I was designing this card, it would be like you bring that bring those numbers down a little bit. Yeah. Like I'm, even I'm if shocked made a two two and put the plus one plus one counter on a single target creature, I would still be stoked on it. Oh legitimately. But they just cranked it. They're just like, actually, maybe a little bit more. And so, now it's a me, freaking eleven. Yeah. Let me just throw a cool card at you. Bond of discipline. Five mana, tap. Okay. All creatures your opponents control, and then creatures you control gain lifelink until end of turn. So now, don't get me wrong, five mana is a lot, and you have to have your commander on the board already. But let's just say, for example, let's say you've tapped a couple things in the turns prior. It's turn seven, you've had your commander. Let's say you have like three, four, fours, right? Let's say just say you've made three of them. You cast this for five mana, and let's say it's turn set, let you know, let's say you have even just like three extra mana to pay. You tap all of your opponent's stuff down, and now you have three seven sevens, and you're attacking for 20-plus damage. That's insane. Well, and it gives them lifelink, right? Exactly. So, and you're gaining all that life back. So it's like, there's a lot of cool cards like this. And then you add in, like, a Verity Circle to oh, draw I cards card. for, for every creature that got tapped. Like, the fact that Hilda isn't restricted to whenever one or more creatures, the fact that she says whenever a creature an opponent controls is tapped, that's nuts, dude. This card is so cool. And yeah. it might get me like this might be like an instant build. Like this is this is oh, I'm so excited. This card seems sick. Yeah, it really does. I'm I'm into it. I have I have the my Dragon Lord Ojutai deck has a tap opponent's mm. creatures kind of sub theme in it. Mm-hmm. And so I'm familiar with the archetype relatively. And one of the other things that I think kind of goes unnoticed in this is it's really it's really easy to protect yourself in a deck like that because you can yeah. always tap the thing that's most threatening to you that's like going to come at you. So it allows you to draw into the long game pretty well because your life total stays relatively padded. And so that just benefits Hilda even more because you just slowly build this army of four fours. Four freaking fours. Four fours. <laughs> it's, it's okay. It's wild. It's a freaking four four. Um, and then you just like, you know, on one turn, you go big, you tap a bunch of stuff down, you pump your whole board and you're in. Like, yeah. I, I think there's some real legs to Hilda. I'm yeah. I it's a very cool card. Yeah. Four mana, play a cone of cold and yeah. tap everything or 
yeah. even like stun counter them essentially. Yeah. Um, pay three mana for a borrowing a hundred thousand arrows and draw like card. 10 cards for three love mana. That card. This I this card this end might end up being like one of the most popular cards from the set. I I maybe not. I highly doubt it. I don't Azorius, think so. I don't think so. But if it's not, I'm gonna be so excited because I don't really like to build the most popular thing. But this looks so cool, and I really want to build this. Yeah, I mean, even in the the Twitter versus today, it hasn't really That's caught true. caught the wind, and so um, it's been overshadowed by quite a few other pieces from the set. So we'll see, but. Tim and Rhoda also aren't that popular, but are true. super powerful They're in their really own right. Good. Like really good. I've, so, got a bud- I've got a buddy who has a Tim and Rhoda deck and I've lost, like, I'm surprised. I'm just shocked at how big his commander gets. And it's yeah. just tapping something every turn. And it's like, oh my gosh, like it, it gets brutal. So yeah. he's going to be sweet. <laughs> yeah. I'm excited for that one. Yeah. The one what that you I, what's your, what's your pick that you've like saw in the spoiler day today that was like, Ooh, that's actually like, it's, we're gonna it's you know making you think yeah so i don't know how yet i don't know what it's gonna look like but agatha the vile cauldron it's a two mana one one legendary creature human warlock so this is gruel red green activated abilities of creatures you control cost x less to activate where x is agatha the vile cauldron's power this can't reduce the mana and that mana cost to less than one. So basically like, that's pretty typical of mana reducers. And then four red, green, other creatures you control get plus one, plus one again, trample and haste until end of turn. Um, I don't, I don't know exactly what this is going to do, but it, it it's, it's interesting to me. And there's some, I think it's some, really cool. I got some wacky, like really wacky ideas. Like, so Agatha plus, Karn the Great Creator plus Basalt Monolith plus Chromatic Orrery because Chromatic Orrery lets your mana be basically be any color, right? Okay. So you have Karn, you turn Basalt Monolith into a creature, (laughs) which then reduces its activated ability by whatever. So you can, so you can, you basically can infinitely activate Basalt Monolith, making infinite mana. And then if you have that through Chromatic Ori, you can then pump all of that in Agatha and just make a friggin' stacked Agatha. So if you want to go that like really convoluted route, that's one place my <laughs> brain went to. But then the other side of it is just like the inner beat down kind of Timmy side of things in me. Just like thinks about all the Theros monstrous cards and just like activating Ooh, cool. a Hydra Broodmother and making... Or Polykronos. Like, or Polukronos or whatever, or like being able to flip your the new Atali from March of the Machine for like two mana. I, there's oh, just cute. I've I've got one for you. Okay, you ready for this? Yeah, this little card you maybe never heard. We've probably never mentioned it on the podcast before, but uh, Ortheon, Hero of Lava Brink. Wow, Ortheon, there he is. <laughs> um, Think amazing. About, you could yes, you could activate that for three mana. And make five copies. And make five copies of something in your deck. Is... Yeah, so th- this is... <laughs> I think activated abilities are really cool. If you know anything about me, I do... I really, really love onboard effects that like generate a lot of value over time. Yeah. I'm, I'm one of the weird magic players probably in the world that I don't love drawing cards necessarily. I don't like dedicating slots in my decks to draw cards. I do it 
because I need to do it, but yeah. I don't love it. And so activated abilities, but th- those activated abilities get me really excited because it's almost like drawing cards, but I get to be doing something like along the way. They just generate a lot of value. Um, Jake actually wrote, he wrote an article kind of in the early stages of, of the, the website over on Substack about activated abilities and what they can mm-hmm. do in commander. And so, um, I don't know exactly what Agatha will do if I ever will build it, but it's certainly one that like I, I kind of see the shell forming and I'm curious what yeah. what the community does and what it kind of pans out to become. So I think it's kind of cool. Yeah. I've uh I I I I've kind of attempted to build this kind of a style of deck, but two different ways. I've I have an idea for a modular deck of commander power matters. Um, through a few different things, which I think is because there's a few commanders like Halana and Elena do something similar, where it's you know they put counters for her their power. Bellamachus Lorehold does stuff equal to their power. So I have like this an idea of like this kind of like group of creatures that all care about the commander's power to like benefit the deck. Which I think yeah, is cool. Um, and then I've also almost built this deck, and I still it's high on my like okay next deck I build list. Yeah. but it's a uh, Dinah Hair um from mm. gate um, yeah dina hair what's uh invoker adept and you play you know and so she wants to do all these things that cost like four more mana to activate her abilities so kind of yeah. simpler um but and just like finding ways to reduce that cost so i i think this is sick i think she's really cool yeah i've always been a big zerta fan but have just never found a home for zerta either i know it can't go here but just this idea of like reducing activated abilities um, I had a Grenzo dungeon warden, the dungeon daddy himself, oh, which was all about like flipping cards, like activating Grenzo. Like, I saw like a, a knack and a kind of an attraction to these kinds of spells. And so Agatha just saying they all become cheaper is like, is kind of exciting to me. Yeah. Um, so we'll see what happens with that, but I think it's a cool card and yeah. the set seems like it's shaping up to be really cool. A lot of these new, like the bonus sheet as a complete aside i love wow. bonus sheets yeah. i think bonus sheets are better than master sets in almost every sense of the word like getting a free card from the bonus sheet every pack is awesome and there yeah. like there are some absolute hitters we'll see how it plays out through the rest of it but like there's some wild cards and it's just in a normal pack and i love yeah. i love love bonus sheets so yeah. Um, it's, it seems like it's shaping up to be a pretty cool set so far. Yeah. I I'm liking the direction it's headed. It seems pretty sweet. The, the flavor is cool too. So yeah, um, like each color, like each like draft, like color to do yeah. is like a different, like fairy tale. Like so clever, like, so good. Like whoever, like, like kudos, like, cause that's, they seriously. deserve a race. That was, that's so good. That is such a good way to build a, like a storybook set and everything. Like, yeah, I feel like we will see sets every now and then that do something like really cool like this. Like I felt like Strixhaven, at least like Strixhaven was really cool. And like the colleges and everything like that. I felt like, March of the Machines doing like the team ups of commanders. Mm-hmm. Like to me, those are like the last two that have felt like really unique and really cool. Of like, oh, that was a good idea of how to like build this set. Yeah. Um, like those two really stand out to me. I think this one's going to be up there too. Like the idea of like the story per color pair is like, that's that's so good. Yeah, it is very cool. 
Well, we could talk about cards. Maybe that's that's another podcast we start one day is just listen to us talk about random cards for hours um, because we could do it for sure. (laughs) But the topic that we have at hand today is kind of a a maybe an outcropping from what we were just talking about. The two commanders that we called out are not necessarily the most powerful commanders that were revealed today. No, Um, we think they're incredibly good, but they're probably not the most powerful and by when all this set kind of shakes out i highly doubt that w- either of these two are like top of a lot of people's lists probably but not. that's kind of how you and i logan how we see the game and one of the things that i've been thinking about a lot is this idea of my the the phrase that i've been i've kind of coined is the idea of power level 5 and thriving this idea of happily playing commander at a lower power level than what you might think you are or what kind of the rest of the community or like the cards are are pushing you to do in intentionally kind of depowering your decks almost right to find and create a more enjoyable commander experience which is something that we've endeavored in and engaged in over the past probably about a year or so we've been going through this process of, of depowering our decks and getting them into the space of honestly a five, maybe a six, maybe depending. Um, and what that looks like. And so that's what we're diving into today to start off. I kind of want to talk about how, how we got to this point, like what brought us, to this point where we decided that, hey, maybe maybe we need to reevaluate and do something different. Yeah. So it definitely didn't start this way. Like this is not didn't. how we started playing Commander. And I don't think this is how a lot of the community necessarily plays Commander. No. There's a lot of pressure and forces pushing you to do something different than this. I guess mm-hmm. is kind of what we were experiencing. And for us, we start I we started playing Commander consistently probably back about 2018 is about mm-hmm. when we started playing really consistently, like on a, on a weekly basis. Yep. Um, we started playing and we had a play group. This was back when I was living in Arizona and we would play usually like Thursday nights with this play group. And we had a lot of fun. Oh yeah. I, I, I look, I look back on those years really fondly because yeah. it was so consistent. It was the same place every week, same time. It was just, we had a, it was, it was a fun group. We had a good it was a really in. fun group. But one of the one of the the things that happened in this group is as something that I imagine happens in a lot of groups is this this idea of the arms race kind of started to evolve. I don't love that term necessarily, but the playgroup started to evolve in a couple of ways. One the the biggest way I think was powerful commanders were starting to be brought to the table more frequently so we were regulars at regular sites at our table were commanders like yuriko um maelstrom wanderer edgar markov kinnon bonder prodigy kinnon moldrotha like some of these like really really and now granted you gotta keep in mind this is this is like 2018 2019 commander so it's a so maybe some of those don't have the same scary connotation today as they did 
But they definitely I, did. I'd venture to guess most of those are probably think, just as scary now yeah, as they they're, were five years ago. <laughs> they are all really powerful. And so we started seeing more of these come to the table. Um, and that caused, and because those started showing up at the table, it forced everyone to kind of step up to that level because yeah. of the consistency of a Yuriko or the raw power and damage output that a Maelstrom can do so quickly it forced at, at least it forced the whole table to start to play cards that were a little bit heavier hitting to combat that. Yeah. Um, for me, the, the deck that I have been playing consistently since it came out back in 2015, Dax is the return. We've talked about it a ton on this podcast, but Dax is started to take new life and play maybe some more punishing tax effects mm -hmm. um some quicker ones that kind of got out faster than other people might be able to get out to try and stop that and slow that down so i could enact the game plan that i wanted to do um i know i know gear ed took on you know kind of yep. some some more aggressive life in that era mm -hmm. and so we saw this we saw this race just happening and this, this push and how it ended up impacting games in ways that mind you, we still, we were still having fun. Like we, I enjoyed going to commander. Oh, 100%. Night, yes. But what, what it felt like to, at least to me, what was happening, a couple of things. One, it, the games felt a little bit more targeted because they were a little bit quicker. Things felt more impactful faster. And when those things got taken care of, it felt, I don't know, whatever reason it felt more targeted yeah. because there was just more power and more like aggression, quote unquote, that right. was present. Things just felt more tense at times and more like um, the other thing that I found happening was every time I left that game night, I would, I would go straight to my decks and be like, okay, what needs to be better? What needs to get stronger? Um, what, well, you know, what angle do I need to combat that I'm missing? And it kind of forced me and I found myself literally every time I would drive home and I would spend the whole drive home just thinking about like and like sitting in bed afterwards like okay what can I like what can I do to make this deck stronger and more powerful and win more games yeah and I don't even think it was a hey the the table got so much stronger so we had to evolve but it was it was almost more like I mean you know, because like we still wanted our decks to do their thing and still try to win a game, right? And so we felt like in order to, it wasn't like our table was telling us, hey, you have to just build stronger decks, but we felt like, hey, in order for us to keep up with some of these guys, like we had to bring in some of these stronger cards. And it did feel like we were constantly upgrading and tweaking and like, okay, this is a faster version of this. This is a better card than that. And like, we were having to do that a lot because if we didn't, we were going to get left behind to a certain extent. Yeah, absolutely. And so th this is kind of what, this is what the evolution that was going on and what we were experiencing. And, you know, I so I think part of where some of this, I guess, change in mindset came is that play group, as COVID hit, as it did for a lot of people, <laughs> we kind of had to stop playing for a little while because we were playing yeah. in person. We tried to make the shift to digital, but it didn't, didn't quite happen. Um, and then life happened and I moved to New York. And so the existence of that play group kind of just, 
it, it fell apart to a certain extent. Like we still are in contact with those guys and we still like, um, but we don't play as regularly as we once did. And so I think that break away from that group forced on by a lot of environmental circumstances primarily caused us to, to step back and look and think, Hey, what, what has happened and, and allowed us to kind of evaluate where our decks and our experiences with, with commander were sitting at. Yeah. And I think that it eventually led us to our current play group, which is our out of the box crew, which is the two of us, then Jake and Simon. Mm-hmm. And interesting to see over the years, how our decks have changed and evolved. And to a certain extent, it's not that like Quentin said, we still very much enjoyed how the games before were getting played, but we've, I think overall we probably find ourselves having enjoying our games maybe a little bit more now at what we would consider the as you you know mentioned the power five you know the power level five area of decks versus yeah. the little bit stronger um, and we want to kind of talk you know today about like hey what why are some of those reasons that we feel that way right because it didn't happen all at once and it wasn't. Um, because of the old people we used to play with versus the new people we play with, a lot of it had to do with how we chose to not only play and pilot our decks, but how we chose to like sub cards in and out and how we built decks and things like that. Yeah. I mean, truly it is an intentional powering down of, of our decks. And so what we want to do through the rest of this episode is talk about the things that we deliberately did to power down our decks to get us to this space of this power, you know, to this, this yeah. five, you know, th- there's yeah. this, this amorphous ethereal, <laughs> whatever word you want to use for it term of like, my deck is a seven or yeah, my everybody deck says is- that, right? Like, yeah. Um, and, and maybe we like talk about that for like, just for what it's worth, like, when we say power level five and thriving, it's because we love where we're at. And if we're being yeah. honest, our decks are probably closer to that, like Quentin said before, that power level five, maybe six. But like, because if we just, let's just say we tried to break it down for a second, right? A yeah. 10 is CEDH, right? Every card like you the, get. Like the top tier CEDH top, top tier CEDH. Yeah. Power level nine is probably still CEDH. Hundred, I, I think is a hundred percent still in that category. Yes, but maybe the the more fringe decks that aren't yeah. you know not your most your your most powerful your yeah. your blue farm decks or whatever it is I, like it's a more step like down my, from those. I have a Minsk beloved Ranger, uh, sacrifice Protean Hulk combo deck. That's probably like a power level nine where the cards in the deck are all designed and built to you know, win with his combo, if which if you've never seen it, I highly look it up. It's a really cool deck. Uh, I think the, the spike feeders have done a couple episodes. Yes, I've seen, I think that. I've seen Jim or Alex play this deck before. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, but you know, but like the, the cards that are in that deck are the kinds of cards you see in CDH decks, right? It's still very much a CDH deck. Yes. It just may not be the top tier. Like if top, you were to make tier. a tier list of that, like yeah. it would probably be on the lower end but it's still certainly better than it's, yeah. it's better and faster than a, most decks you're going right. to see out there. Yeah. So that's probably like what we imagine what nine would be. Right. Yeah. 
Eight is that kind of high power casual, right? We see that a lot. I casual think. in quotes, because yeah, that's such a, that's also a very amorphous term. Absolutely. Um, but I feel like that power level eight is where we start to see, for me, what I reference, what I kind of think of these decks are, are a lot of the decks you'll see like on game nights or like if you've ever watched like Post Malone play with like Cassius Marsh or some of these guys, right? It's kind of the power level of, hey, it's not full CEDH, but it's like just like a step under, right? It's But you've still- got... You're packed with some fast mana. You're you're running your jeweled yep. lotuses and your mana crypts. You're not trying to combo out super fast necessarily in a dedicated yeah. in a dedicated CEDH sense, but like you are there, and your commanders are probably the the the, the S tier commanders in the format as well. Right. Yeah. So we're you know like we talked about before, right? Like that might be your your Yuriko, your Zer the Enchanter. Uh, uh, I, I mean, there's lots of different commanders that could be in that category, right? Totally. But, um, so that's kind of like, like your eight. And then seven is like close to it, right? Like maybe not yeah. quite there, but like probably like a lot of like what you see, like the general populace on YouTube, I would probably say is is actually probably kind of in that level. Hey, they're playing maybe some fast mana. They're playing things like, you know, they're playing some expensive cards, right? Like a lot of them now are probably playing like, the one ring they're playing ristic studies they're playing cyclonic rifts and like these kind of like good like really good cards but maybe not every deck is like fully optimized to like to the max and everything so you kind of start coming down this ladder and like and so quint and i we've had this conversation of like hey you know what maybe our deck isn't actually a seven like we think it is and you know what maybe that's okay like we actually like playing a little bit below that. We don't play all of these just like yeah instant staples and everything like that. And so we found that the more we talked about it, it's like we're probably in that five to six. And there's a good chance that some of your decks might be there as well. But that's not a bad thing. Like just because yeah. you might not play at that level, don't feel bad that like, oh, so mine's a five and it can't hang at a good table. It's like, no, like, like our decks, even though I would probably consider them five to six, could probably still hang with a lot of sevens, you know? Like, yeah. And it can still win at a table that has card, you know, that has cards and decks like that, but it's it's not built that way. And that's okay. Like, and I don't know. We just kind of like wanted to like preface this whole idea with like, hey, yeah. this power, you know, quote unquote power level five and thrive, you know, like who knows what our deck is actually rated at? Everyone has probably a different curve it's, and how it's it so it. yeah it's so unknown right but the 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 thing that i like about this this idea this this term power level five and thriving is we've talked about this before but there's a level of identity that we attach to our decks right as dedicated magic players your decks take on part of your identity like because you mm-hmm. built it it's part of it's something that you've crafted and so you have this sense of attachment to it and when someone comes along and says oh, that's not a seven or that's not, you know, that's not as yeah. good as mine. You're like, it, it, you know, you, you, it feels like it, it's a shot at you almost right. to a certain but sense. Like, oh, what? You say I'm not a good magic player? Like, Yeah, or I can't build a deck right or whatever. But that's yeah. not the case. It's it's this intentional choice to play down that ladder a little bit because we believe that we've seen, my experience has been, games are more fun and yeah. I have a better time yeah. down in this. So I'm thriving <laughs> at this power level five like i'm yeah. having a better time because of this yeah and so 
And and if you end up like, and if your play style is to play higher power, like, hey, like all power to you. By no means do we want this to be like a, hey, you should not play all these powerful cards. Because like, you know, like we love magic and the commander, uh, you know, format and everything. And it's like, we want you to play what you enjoy. But totally. this is just what we have found to be very enjoyable. And so like, you know, this is kind of a call like, hey, maybe, you know, check this out, try it out and see what you're, you know, your play group could be like at a little bit of a lower power. Yeah. And there, I just don't think there's a lot of voices either pushing for this, right? So much, right. Of the, so many voices push for, Hey, this card is better than this card yeah. or this new card got printed and it's better. And like yeah. that well, seems this card to be, costs too much mana, you know, like, yeah, that just seems to be like the, the, the rhetoric out in the greater magic world is this push for optimization. I actually think it's gotten less over, over the years Maybe that's just because my the circles that I run in have been tuned towards kind of what I what I like. Right. But I I think for I think maybe that sh- there's a little bit of a paradigm shift happening. But we just want to be a voice of support to say, hey, look, it's okay to be here. We have it's fun, fun here. down here. <laughs> don't feel like you need to be. I don't feel like you need to push beyond what you have what what is good for you or you feel like you have to have all of the best cards to be able to have fun in this format yeah you don't need a 50 dollar heuristic study to have fun at this table you don't you don't need those things you can, you can build a 50 dollar deck that is super fun to play <laughs> yeah and you know and, and so that's the genesis of this whole episode is this experience the experience that we've had as you know after we've been on both sides of this table on the yep. higher power casual to now what we claim as the, the power level five, I think I could toss Quintorius out there and maybe he's a four because I I just feel like Quintorius <laughs> is not the hottest deck on the market, but I love it. I have so much fun playing it, you yeah. know? I will say you have a Field of the Dead and a Glacial Chasm of the Deck. I do. Yeah. I think those alone might make, yeah, that's probably a five. <laughs> maybe, maybe, yeah. But yeah, reg- again, the, the numbering is so... It's uh, generic, it's vague, yeah. It's totally vague, so... That's why I just I like this idea of power level five and thriving. Yeah. We're happy here in the middle. For sure. So we want to talk about what we did to get here. What yeah. what were the choices that we made? Yeah. How did we get we- to power level five and be okay with it through our deck choices, right? Exactly. So Logan, I think you were actually the one kind of the I, the first one to to call this out and say we should try this. And and I think that kickstarted a lot of this. So what what was it? What was this like? What was your call to action? To it was at least between you and me. Yeah, was that this first kind of call? I feel like. Yeah, and I think you and I had talked about this for a little while, and I think yeah. we, we had talked about it with our other play groups, and everybody's probably talked about yeah, it. Yeah, everyone's probably talked about it, right? But it was cutting soul ring. Like I found that I was like, okay, every time someone has a turn one soul ring it immediately warps the game around it. And I, including my own deck. And it was like, honestly, it's kind of boring. Like I just, it's not boring, but I just didn't like the play style of, all right, I'm going to become the enemy on turn one. And if you guys don't have a way to slow me down or stop me, I'm just going to overtake this game. Because I felt like, not that it like discounted whatever else was doing, but because sometimes, hey, it would get removed or you guys would just kill my stuff and then I would get taken, you know, I'd get beaten down a little bit. But then there were other games where it was like, hey, you couldn't touch me. And it was like, literally there were games where it was a turn two gear ed. Like it was turn one, land, soul ring, arcane signet. 
Turn two, play a land, cast gear ed. And it was like, literally by turn four, I would have 20, 30 power on the board. And it was just like, I just didn't enjoy those types of games. And so like the first thing that I think that we did, and I think I like, I think like I might've been like the first one, but like you were like, you were right there with me. Like, let's, yeah. let's cut yeah. the ring out of our decks. Which is what we do. We don't have Sol Ring yep. in any of our decks. Ooh, I spooky. Have... <laughs> we're coming to tell you to take Sol Ring out of your deck. I mean, there's so much so much discourse around yep. this, but... I have a mono black artifact deck that I don't play Sol Ring in. <laughs> yeah. <On> purpose. <laughs> I play Karavek, who's a seven mana commander. I don't play Sol Ring in that deck. Nope. And it works just fine. Yep. Um, I mean, there's there's been a lot of discourse discourse around this. The command yes, zone a month or two ago put out an episode about you know should it be banned, should, banned or not, whatever. The our primary argument here is the games without soaring are more enjoyable because, like Logan said, it warps the game around that thing. And I don't care what side of the ban or not ban conversation you are. If you're being honest with yourself, you know that that's true. Yeah. Like if if somebody has a turn one soul ring, the game changes dramatically. And if you like that game, great. Yeah. I did not personally like that game because yeah. it felt like everyone else got left behind, or or if you didn't have it, you were the one that got left behind, and your whole game is spent answering that one singular thing or dealing with the ramifications of that one singular thing. I yeah. was I was playing with some friends recently. Um, it's just a pre-con. He, he was playing at the Sauron pre-con just straight oh, out of yeah. the box and had a turn one soul ring yeah. and the game warped around that because yeah. it was just so much advantage so quickly that every ounce, like so much of the game was spent just trying to deal with him turn after turn because we didn't have an answer for the soul ring immediately. Yeah. And so all we could do is just try to deal with what was coming after that. And it just, it, the whole game warped around that. Whereas had that not been the case, had that not come down turn one, had it not been played ever, it, I think we would have been able to have a game that was more, it just, the games feel more balanced and it allows the game time to evolve. Yeah. I mean, if and it gets really... even worse if you have more than one player with it yeah. too, right? Yeah. Like now let's say you have two of them and to a certain extent you can say, okay, well, we'll let the two soul ring decks battle it out. But then it's like, now you have two people that are like way far behind. Yeah. And that's like, that's even worse. Like it's just, I, like, don't, I yeah. don't think we stop enough time to think about how truly powerful soul ring is as a card. I mean, it is always correct to play it. The second you have it in 100%. Every circumstance, it is, it is never wrong to play it. Well, and like, I believe like that card is more powerful probably than all of the five Moxin in Commander. I, I think Soul Ring is better than any Moxin yeah. in Commander, period, just because it generates so much consistent mana over the course of a game. Yeah. It's just like, I, if that card wasn't, that that if that card was on the reserve list or something like that, yeah, that card would be hundreds and hundreds of dollars because it's oh, yeah. just so insanely powerful yeah. and i think we just take it for granted because it's been part of the format for so long and all that being all that aside that was the first step that we took mm -hmm. to powering out our decks is taking soul ring out and it's been a lot of fun yeah and i will say we should also note we argue the same for just fast mana in general like 
Now, we never played Mana Crypts, Mana Vault, you know, Chrome Mox into whatever. You know, like we just that's those were cards that were not necessarily outside of our budget, but not cards that we were wanting to spend 80 to 100 dollars on. And so yeah. our fast mana mostly consisted of Soul Ring. Um but anything mana positive though falls into this category, right? Exactly. Anything that yeah. makes more mana than it costs to cast the spell right. falls into this category big yeah. time. And so we kind of just opted to cut fast mana in general, but most of it was through Soul Ring. Um and so just in general, we found that the games like where everyone starts equal, it doesn't have to mean that like, hey, now someone could still have a turn one Esper Sentinel or a turn three Dockside, right? Like those things can still happen and and strong cards can still get played early. But if at least it feels a little equal, it's a lot better if you're all start on the same foot. Now, because if someone just start, like you said, Q, like that Soul Ring just generates so much mana and value over those early turns where it's critical to get going and if you're doing that at two times three times the pace that everybody else is it's just the game we found that the game is so much more enjoyable when you all start on kind of that equal foot yeah and that's uh, this all of these arguments that we're making today all these points we're making is simply from our perspective of enjoyment the fun that we've had doing it and I enjoy being able to sit down at a table now and know in our pod, at least, mm-hmm. that I'm not going to see a turn one soul ring and I don't have to worry about that. It's literally, it is the biggest relief in the world. I yeah. watch videos on YouTube of Commander, you know, Commander Gameplay, yeah. where it's like, oh, there's the turn one soul ring. And it's like, and I should call out, I know that uh, Commander Clash, MTG Goldfish, I know that they have a house ban on of soul ring on their channel i love it i watch their videos every week and i'm a big goldfish fan in general shout out seth and tomer and richard and krim and phil but like just in general like i love watching those games because like when i watch a game of like oh turn one soul ring okay well that's like like the rest of this game is just gonna be about that deck like you know you see that deck more than any other decks nine times out of ten now sure sometimes someone has the turn one or turn two vandal blast right but it's not nearly as common. Yeah. So that was the, that was the the first thing that we did was you took that out and we realized that taking that pressure off of that card or of the cards in general that kind of fit in this fast mana space because we also kind of intentionally did some things to like play we replaced soul ring with like three mana value rocks or yeah. something higher like we didn't just put in like all right, trade the soul ring for uh, a land of war elves. And that's what it is. Like we intentionally have now chosen to play more thematic three CMC or even four CMC. In the case of Daxus, I replaced soul ring with, I think it was a Nyx Lotus. Yeah. And I have a deck where I replace soul ring for a lava brink floodgates. Yeah. It's just like, we, we, we didn't just replace it with a still a two mana rock. That's like hyper efficient. We deliberately, pushed ourselves into a different category. But after we did this, that pressure was taken off. We continued to think about, hey, what what is happening with our decks? Like, what what are we doing? What, what is causing us, like, the, these decks to still feel at the power level that they were? And the next piece, and this one, it's, it's that's why I'm struggling to kind of define it a little bit. It's, the idea is, I win cards. Cards that were carrying more of their weight in the deck than maybe other cards do. And yeah. that's not to say that we don't 
have win conditions, but these I win cards were cards that basically upon resolution of that spell, the odds of you winning that uh, winning that game just absolutely skyrocket. Yep. Um, and this is what we pulled out. So in the case of, of Daxis, again, I'm, that's the one I'm going to reference a lot because he was one of the ones that went through most of this. A yep. lot of the remaining decks that I have have been built post this evolution. Mm-hmm. Um, and in Daxis, the two cards that I took out, um, Debt to the Debtless and Torment of Hailfire, which were both X, spe- X spells that you just pump a bunch of mana into and you're draining your opponents for a bunch of life or making them sacrifice their board and lose a bunch of cards in their hand. And those are both essentially, if I have enough mana, the game's just over. If I don't quite have enough mana, it's probably over anyways because you're going to be so low that I can just finish the game. Yeah. So for Daxus, those are the two, those were two examples of cards that I took out that were just these I win cards that just happened and the game was over. Right. And it's not to say, like you said, it's not that you don't still have win cons in your deck, right? Like there's still a couple right. of cards that like, like I know, for example, if you see true conviction in your Daxus deck, like that is one of the ways that you close and finish games and you will win games off of that card or, um, 100%. What's your other one? The one that like Skybind. Skybind. Yes. If I play Skybind, the chance of me winning that game go through the roof for sure. But they're not oppressive. Just full out. I I just kind of on resolution game is over and I win. Right. Um, Now there's nothing wrong with playing Torment if that's the right thing for your deck. There's nothing wrong with playing Crater Hoof Behemoth. Right. There's nothing wrong with playing a Ristic Study. Right. Ristic Study is a card that doesn't. It, it doesn't say hey do this and win the game but you know i used i used to, I, I have an obeka deck that I, I used to play and i had a ristic study in there for a while and i felt all of my games just started again it's that warping you know i, I think that's like a big theme and like this powering down is is you don't have cards that warp the game around it necessarily right yeah um now there can be taxing cards and things that still affect a game but it was like it was always the wrong thing to not play Ristic Study, you know? And it was, is okay, if I get Ristic Study down, I'm going to draw a ton of cards because nobody's going to pay for it. And now I have every option under the sun of how to answer someone, of how to further my game plan, how to stop someone else. Like, I just had all the cards I needed. Um, yeah. And so I think there's these cards that hold more weight. So you talked about Daxis. For my Gira deck, I had a Chroma's Will. Now, Chroma's Will was a win con, but I also found that I every time I was winning with Gear Red, it was on the back of that card. And it wasn't, you know, my other card. It was, I could literally have Gear Red and two Rhinos, and I would double strike, vigilance, trample, lifelink, protection, and I would gain yeah. so much life. I'd kill one player, I'd gain a ton of life, and the other two, it'd be too early and they couldn't do anything. So, I took, I, you know, chose to take out a Chroma's Will in lieu of finding more, to me, fun ways to try to win, right? Like I'm I'm adding a Galta and Maverin to my deck. So I can either, you know, it's seven mana and and it has to attack and it doesn't have haste, but like, or I guess you just have to attack. But like the idea of like making a huge dinosaur, making a bunch of tokens is like, to me, that's like way more fun and like way cooler than just okay, four mana indestructible. Here we go, I win. 
you know yeah and and so this is this is the conundrum right is those cards are good cards and they they win games yes but that's also if your intention is solely to win games i think that's part, mm. another thing that's that happened that happened in this kind of evolution was we all love to win a game don't get yeah. me wrong i play i i'm here to win these games because it's fun when you win a game but we have made choices that allow other people opportunities to interact with us to stop us from winning the game and we're making choices that deliberately may make our odds of winning a little bit less yeah. in lieu of having more fun at the table and i think that's that's one of the things that i've also thought about as we've we've been brainstorming this episode is the we still have win cons mm-hmm. but those win cons oftentimes give people opportunities to interact with those yeah so they the game's just not just over on resolution like that that's a lot of the ones that we called out you know your crater hoofs there's the new white one coming in in wilds yeah. of drain so we'll see how that goes but you know your torments or whatever like these these big spells that just on resolution the game is is is, is over yeah. um it, it doesn't give you a chance to interact and outside of like a counter spell i guess um and giving your opponent's time to react makes at least for me also makes the victory more satisfying because you landed something you kind of had to grit your teeth and be like all right the true convictions there i need one more turn to win let's see what happens on this turn cycle and yeah it might get taken away and that's and that's fine like you like part of this game is giving other people as well the opportunity to win yeah. because if you're winning more than your fair share other people aren't having that fun at the table, right? right? So like this is also an effort of making sure that everybody at the table has equal opportunity to win, I guess. And I think it helps to not like discredit the game to a certain extent, right? Like, yeah, I remember I was listening to someone talk about this recently, but like, like, let's say you cast like an insurrection, right? Just a huge steal everybody's stuff, go in and attack. Like, yeah, like, more often than not, if you cast something like an insurrection or the torment, crater hub, right? All those things. It's just kind of this like, okay, and I win. And it's like, like you said, like unless you have that counter, it's like, yeah, you're not really stopping it. And it's, hey, you're probably going to die. Um, yeah. And so it's this idea of like, you know, and it doesn't just have to be like that. Like I mentioned Ristic Study, but I think there's other cards that fall in that same category. I put Dockside in that category. 100%. Side Extortionist is a card that warps the game that, you know, it's okay, I'm going to pay two mana and make a whole bunch of treasures and now it's like, okay, well, that card, like, you know, everything is now about that card and all the treasures it made. And now, yeah, now you can use all those treasures and cast one of those big spells, right? So it's it's those cards that, like you said, they it's not that they just carry more weight in the sense of like importance in your deck, but just straight power level to a certain extent, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that that's that's this that's this idea here yeah. is just cards allow allow opportunity for interaction maybe you know and so we we for us we took out some of those immediate immediate i win cards yeah and then i think with that same idea i think this kind of like next category kind of actually yeah yeah a little bit because you know a lot of these cards we mentioned right it's a lot of like these big spells you're right like high cms you know high mana value and everything but these are all like you know, very staply commander cards. But I think we've also seen, and I want to get like your take on this, because I know you've done this in some of your decks. I want to hear like 
hear your thoughts about this, but the idea that like, by also choosing to slow down a little bit and not have the fast mana, like it also lets us play some higher mana value cards that maybe don't get seen as much. Um, yeah, definitely. I, I, this is something that I've actively kind of pushed myself to do is I, I am prone to like, to playing really efficient spells. And so I, you know, <laughs> Logan is not, Logan so this is, is great king, for me. <laughs> Logan is the king of four CMC, five CMC cards. Yeah. That's not necessarily always been the case for me, but as I've taken out some of these, I win cards or some of these more powerful cards, I've, intentionally replace them not with cards at the same mana value but have actually pushed it up the up the the line a little bit up the right. mana value count to slow down games a little bit mm-hmm. um so a, a prime example i used to have oppression in daxis three mana whenever you cast a spell discard a card replaced it for painful quandary five mana whenever an opponent casts a spell that player loses five life unless he or she discards a card so the, that was this intentional upward push. I, I I want to play higher value things. I play a Spirit Sisters call in Daxis because the card's cool. Yeah, it's a five-minute enchantment. It's a little slow, but I have fun with it. Like that that's that's kind of this next thing that we did in its evolution was give us space to play cards that we want to play instead of playing cards that we feel like we have to play. Yes, absolutely. So I kind of mentioned this just a minute ago, but my uh, in Gear Ed, I, you know, and I took Chroma's Will out of my deck quite a while ago, but just in March of the Machines, Galta and Maverin were just released. And it instantly was just like, oh, this seems so cool. Like in most decks, paying seven mana to get, no, it, don't get me wrong, it's a 12 12 trample that will either make things a, beefy, uh, either a huge dinosaur with trample or a bunch of vampires um, when you attack. But like, that's not a card that like most decks are going to want to play, right? The more efficient thing right. to play the, you know, is to play the Acroma's will. It's to play the, you know, a lot of really powerful say, things you can you do know, at seven mana, you know, yeah, you know, or, or even more powerful things to do at five mana, right? Like totally. there are ways to get an effect like this, at five mana versus seven mana. But I personally, like the card count, I was like, oh, that's so cool. Like it's Galta and it's very Ixalan. And it's just, it's just a big old dinosaur. And it's like, that's a card that I wouldn't normally get to play in a deck, but is actually going to fit in really well in the way I play Gear Ed. And it's like, that's really fun for me, especially because I'm a very um, Timmy player in comparison to a spiky player. Like, most like Quentin said, my average CMC in some of my decks is like four to five. Like just because I like yeah. to play bigger stuff. Like I specifically have a Grixis spells deck that is like wants to play all like six, you know, mana value spells and up. So it's like six is like, right. oh, yeah, that's cheap. You know, like six mana, that's not a problem. So it gets you the ch- opportunity to play these cards that you couldn't, that you wouldn't normally see, but really, really cool. Well, and I think I've got two thoughts here. One, I think this this gives the air that we have just a battle cruiser meta that everyone just plays their big thing right. and whoever plays the biggest thing wins. But that's not the case. Like we're yeah. still 
we have a very interactive meta. There's always things being done to stop the scary thing or whatever, but we still get to play those big things. Right. Um, and so I, I, I think there's a difference between something being battle cruisery and what we do. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't, I don't want, I don't want listeners. I don't want you to take it that way because I think that's one of the things that could easily discount this argument and be like, Oh, whatever. That's just battle cruiser. You guys just do your thing. And, Whoever plays the biggest thing wins. That yeah. was really not the case here. I still play a Skyclave Apparition and an Aura Shards in Gear Ed to take care of all the problems, right? Yeah, like- we, we play a fair amount of interaction. I mm-hmm. I, I play a, a good number in all of my decks. Yep. And so there's still a lot of interaction, but because we play bigger things, one of the other you know byproducts of this is games feel different because there's only so many five plus yes. CMC things that you can um mana value things that you can cast in a course of a game so even if you had your whole deck in your hand at all times because the nature of these just being of costing more you just don't see the same ones every single game because they just it's a little bit slower i guess is is the point there and it makes it Um, exciting right like i i feel like totally the the whole idea i mean the you know quote unquote the whole idea of commander in the first place was to like play some of these bigger cards and we're not saying Hey, just just jam a bunch of like giant creatures, right? Because like you mentioned, painful quandary, right? It's it's not necessarily just these big old giant, you know, battle cruiser creatures, but it's just you know, it, it kind of even goes back to like the soul ring for a three mana rock, right? Yeah, it's okay. I could play soul ring, and soul ring is good. Or it's hey, I have a graveyard deck. I'm gonna play the Celestis, which lets me you know discard and draw cards and get things into my graveyard, right? It's Hey, you know, this Rhystic Study is good. You know, it's a very, very good card, but maybe there's a cool card at five mana. Um, like a card that is probably not the best for a lot of decks, but one that I really like is um it's the five mana black. You lose life equal to your commander's mana value, and you draw that many cards. Um yeah, stinging study, is that stinging what it is? Study. Yeah, like now, for a lot of commanders, that might not be not might not be very good, but like to me, that's like a really fun way to like draw a bunch of cards all at once, and it's instant speed, and it cares about your commander. So it's like just these cards that maybe cost, you know, when people do set reviews and they say, "Oh, I wish this card was one less mana," or "I wish this was a little bit cheaper." Like rather than looking at it that way, we say, "Ooh, that's a really cool card. I'm gonna put it in the deck, even if it might be a hair slower." Like you, I know you like Spirit Sisters call is a card in Daxis that yeah. is probably a little slow for Daxis, or we're being honest, at five mana. Totally. It is very slow. But its ability is so unique and so cool, and you don't get to see it, and like, it's not played anywhere. And so it's so cool like to see like when it yeah. like, when it can do its thing, right? Yeah, it's just it's playing cards that you want to play. The, yeah. With the nature of Magic today is new cards are coming out all the time, and they're getting better. They're getting yeah. more efficient. They're getting stronger. And so it's really easy to have, you know, things just to, to naturally be like, well, this this piece is a little bit faster, a little bit better. And and we put it in the deck. And after six sets have come out, you swapped out 15 cards. Your deck's a lot faster. Right. And so there's this intentionality to just playing cards a little bit higher, yeah. even if they're a little bit less efficient mm-hmm. in lieu of having some fun and trying to keep decks a little bit slower, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, so we've kind of talked about that. I, I think there's kind of one more aspect that we've really looked at this and Q, you yeah. and I talked about this on a previous podcast already. Yeah. Um, kind of this idea, 
But I think this last section is as you're kind of looking at this, right, for maybe not the most efficient way or, or, you know, the cheapest way, but it's looking at your commander and the commander that you choose to play and how that affects the power level of your deck, right? So you and I, we did the podcast a couple of weeks, you know, a month or so ago about, you know, swapping some of these most popular one commanders, things like uh, Yuriko, Muldrotha, uh, Attract, prosper uh, prosper you know but choosing to play lower powered commanders that can do a similar thing that maybe aren't seen as much but just kind of how that even just your commander alone can bring your power level down a full grade or two right yeah i really can i i think i had this experience so when strixhaven came out Ozgear, the reconstructor. Yeah. Card is so cool. I love Ozgear. Yeah. It's, even still. It, even, yeah. It is powerful, though. There's no argument that it is an incredibly powerful card. So I had an Ozgear deck for probably about a year, maybe just a little bit under a year. Yeah, probably about. And I, I, I loved it. It was an Ozgear artifact reanimator deck. But so cool. in this powering down, as I did things, I decided that, hey, maybe Ozgear is just a little bit too good for what are too powerful for what I'm trying to create here. So I swapped it out for Quintorius. And I, it was literally, I, I think at that time I just did a one for one swap. I yeah. took, I took Osgear out, put him in the 99, put Quintorius in the command zone, made maybe two or three card swaps and the deck played super similarly, but was a little bit slower and not as threatening. And it, I love the deck. Now the deck's gone through an evolution since then. It's no longer a reanimator deck, an artifact reanimator deck. It's it's a lands deck now. But that that's kind of a, an aside to this. But that just that shift of mm-hmm. Osgear to Quintorius really changed the dynamic of the deck. Slowed it down a little bit. Took some pressure off of the deck. Slowed down the pod that I played in a little bit. Um, and it was a really healthy change, in my opinion. Yeah. yeah, because when you play a really powerful commander that becomes like an instant threat, for example, you just be like, e- before the game even starts, kind of like how like on a turn one soul ring, if you have that turn one soul ring, the deck, like the game's kind of warped around it. If I sit yeah. down at the table and I see, you know, uh, let's say a Turgrid or a Atraxa or an Ur Dragon or something, you know, an Edgar Markov, something like that. I'm instantly already in my head kind of like, all right, well, I'm going to need to put a lot of my resources and attention on this deck um, just from before the game even starts, because that's just what the, you know, the commander just, it has to draw that much attention because if it, you, if you don't put enough attention towards it, like you're going to more often than not, you're going to more than likely lose. Um, yeah. I, th- I think a really strong example of this is, is Chulane. Chulane's the kind of commander that like mm. if that commander comes down and lands and stays, they are probably going to win the game yeah. because it just does so much just by being itself, right? Yeah. And or like so Cor- like Corvold, Faker's yep. same yeah. thing, right? A lot a lot of L train here. <laughs> <laughs> Man, those um, brawl booster those brawl commanders weird. <laughs> maybe they're a little pushed. Um but like yeah, it's just this idea that Swapping out a Chulane for, I don't, I, I another Bant, any Bant commander, 
Amaret. Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 the six mana dragon. Yep. That can be literally the, the 99 can be exactly the same. Yeah. Because they play and, very similarly. Yeah. But the the impact on the table and the impact on you will be wildly different. Right. So if you guys, uh, I know we mentioned the Substack earlier, but if you guys go and check out the Substack, so I had an article come out earlier this week um, about this idea, about swapping a commander. Um, and in this instance, I took Yuriko. Uh, is it Tiger's Shadow? Yeah. Yuriko, Tiger Shadow. And I swapped it. I changed it from Demir to Rakdos and I put at the head Hidetsugu Devouring Chaos. And the whole idea of the article is showing, hey, you can, you know, Yuriko decks like to do all this big damage off the top, right? Hidetsugu allows you to do the same thing, but a little bit slower and maybe even a less, you know, a little more, a little less efficient. You know, Yuriko, you hit with the ninja, you get a trigger and it hits everybody. Yeah. Hidetsugu, four mana, and then for three mana, you can tap him to exile the top thing to do damage to one target, right? So definitely a power level difference here, but you can get the same idea of playing one of these powerful commanders in a less powerful way. And I think that really helps to bring that power level down, but you can still do the cool thing, right? Like it still wants to play a Draco, you know, it still wants to play some, you know, um, some of these really big mana costing creatures to just dome people's face but you just do it maybe a little bit slower or in a different way, right? And so I think that by being particular in your commander choice and maybe not choosing the most powerful or popular option can also help you come down a little bit in that power level, which we have found makes for really fun games. Yeah, and it gives you the freedom to build things that you might not be able to build in other spaces. Like I don't think a Boros lands deck could hang at a higher power table as right. well as it does here, just because I have the space to do some some wackier things and yeah. have some, you can you can do things that are out of the ordinary. But really, all of this is to say, in order to get to this power level five space, you really need to be intentional. Yes, it, it's something that doesn't just happen accidentally mm-hmm. um, because of all the things that we have mentioned. Every deck is better with a soul ring. Every deck is probably better with these quick I win cards. Like all of these things, mm-hmm. everything in the community and and the game really pushes you wants to push you in the direction of making your decks more powerful. Yep. But if being at this level 5 and thriving there, having fun here is an intentional choice to depower. Every time a set comes out, Logan and I will sit down and as we're like uh, looking to upgrade decks or change things there's a, a real conversation about, hey, is this card too powerful? Is this card too much? Like, yeah. is that going to warp the game too much? It's we, we had last, you know, last episode, we talked about your playgroup dynamic and how to foster a good playgroup. And I think mm-hmm. this is a real part of this, but it just that's really one of the conclusions we wanted to make. And, and I want to reemphasize is that this is intentional. Mm-hmm. You if you want to be here at this power level. You have to make the conscious choice to pick a different commander, maybe play a mm-hmm. little bit slower, play yeah. some cards that aren't quite as good as other versions of cards. Cut, cut a Ristic study and a Dockside Extortionist, you know? Yeah, it feels, it seems counterintuitive. It feels wrong, frankly, like because 
I guess you could say if you're if your sole point is winning, then it is the wrong choice. But if For the sure. point is to sit down and have fun at a table by playing wacky cards and seeing some fun interactions and just having a good time with your friends, that's not the wrong choice necessarily. Right. And you might be able to you might find that it's more fun for you here at the power level that we're, that we play at today and the experiences that we have with power level five decks. Yeah. And it might seem like the way we talk that it's like, Oh, well their decks just must be super janky too. But it's like, by no means would I call even any of our decks janky, right? Not at all. Not like, at all. Just because like Boros lands, right. Quinn dimension Kutorius, like Boros lands doesn't sound like that would be a good strategy, but I have lost multiple times to a full board of zombies and tokens because he, you know, brought all of his, he got all of his lands in the graveyard, brought them all back, did it again, and like comboed off and did something really cool, right? And, you know, just because I may not play in a Chroma's Will doesn't mean that, you know, my gear deck can't pop off and play really well. Like we said, power level five decks can still hang with higher powers. But we just find that the games are more enjoyable when we come down just a little bit. We're not saying build jank, open a box, build a deck out of it, and be at a power level two or three, right? We're not saying just grab whatever cards you have and throw them together. Yeah. Like, still build a cohesive, functioning, synergistic deck. But doing that doesn't mean you have to play the fast mana. doesn't mean you have to play the staples that warp the games around them, right? The most powerful version of that commander. There are ways to really enjoy the game that doesn't involve those things. And that's what we want to really express and invite you to try because we have found it to be so enjoyable and our games we yeah. found have been so much more fun that we think that there should be, you know, more of this out in the community. And I think that there probably are. I think there are probably a lot of you that are listening that play similarly to us, but maybe there's just not as much of a voice of this out in the community right now, which is why we want to be out talking about this. Yeah, 100%. If you have, if you want to try this and you have a deck list that you're like, hey, how do I power this down? Send it to us. Tweet yeah. at us. Throw, like, like we, oh, we'll help power that down real quick. <laughs> we Well, we've done this a lot. We've done yeah. this for a lot of decks and, yeah. and we've helped friends, you know, we've helped our whole play group kind of go through this process and doing it right now for Jake Sauron deck. We're helping him power yeah. Sauron a little bit. Uh, allowing you to, you know, it's, this isn't about not playing things that are fun or, or mm -hmm. not well done, but it's just, it's this intentional choice. And so if you got it, send it in, we'd be happy yeah. to give you, give any advice. And we'd love to hear from all of you. If you've had this experience, if, you know, if, if you, have taken the made the conscious choice to to not play certain cards, how it's impacted it. If you don't play Soul Ring, I'd love to hear people's thoughts on on how that what goes. their experience has been without playing Soul Ring. It's really just it's something that you got to try it to understand what we're saying. Yeah, because it's a different it's a different game at this at this level, and it's it feels. So it's, so it's, it's what we are looking for out of a sitting down and having a game night with friends. Um, and we think that it would be something that you all would enjoy as well. And so yeah. that's our call to action. That's our send out to you is give it a try, give it a shot and let us know what happens. Let us know what your experience is. We'd love to hear from you. And that's a wrap. That's the end of our episode. We will be back in two weeks time. 
uh, talking about whatever nonsense it is that we come <laughs> up with in the world of Commander. The world will be very different in two weeks' time, but come back, check out the episode. And it's great having you, and we'll see you in a couple weeks. Thank you.